0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes out of the book of Jonah. We're in the Old Testament book of Jonah, which is one of my favorite books, and we'll talk about why, but over the next four weeks we're going to be going through the book of Jonah and talking about lessons from Jonah, things that Jonah can teach us that, uh, that we might not get from other parts of scripture, particularly on how to be dramatic. We'll talk about that in a second. You'll laugh at that later. We're looking at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I invite you to turn now there with me in your own text. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing? You're sound asleep. Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we might know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And when they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed harder to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please O Lord we pray do not let us perish on account of this man's life do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you O Lord have done as you have as it pleased you so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared and the Lord feared the Lord even more and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows but the Lord provided a large fish not a whale to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Holy God, open our hearts and minds in this morning that we might be receptive of your word and encounter you anew, that we might know the depths of your love and the breadth of your grace this morning, and might come into a greater relationship with you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. All right, I recognize that was a pretty long passage this morning, so so here's what I'm going to do, okay? And this will have a point. If you you are able and or willing, I want you to stand up for just a second. We're all all just going to take a stand up, all right? And now, take one step to your right. All right, now one step back to your left, and you can sit down. I'm an interactive preacher, right? So now, anybody who's not here this morning, if they asked you how the sermon went, you can say, the preacher really moved us. (laughs) I had to. I learned that from a Jewish friend of mine. That's what happens at Temple. So back to our story at hand, the book of Jonah. Jonah. So, Jonah is a curious book for many reasons. One important reason, and I might be stepping on some toes here, but I'm just, I'm gonna go ahead and do that. Most scholars do not believe that Jonah is necessarily a historic book. And that's okay. It's okay for it not to be. Something like the, the story of Jonah might have happened, and it might have happened to a person named Jonah, but they don't, scholars don't believe that Jonah is strictly a history textbook for us. They believe that Jonah is more of a parable, if you will. And the reason why, the main reason, is because of how dramatic Jonah, both the book and the person, are. It, Jonah is hugely dramatic every single step of the way. And it gets more dramatic the deeper into the story we go. And it starts out by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah told him to go to Nineveh, cry out to this great city. And Jonah doesn't even respond, just turns and runs. It says, but Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. That's way too many times to say the city Tarshish. But the reason why it's said so many times is Jonah's trying to make a point. The book of Jonah is trying to make a point that the person Jonah was trying to get as far away from where God wanted him to go. Tarshish, if you look at a map, is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And so why is Nineveh such a big player here? Well, a little bit about this city. Nineveh was at the time, historians speculate, the one probably the largest city on the face of the planet at the time. It was the central hub of all organizations and and the great empire of Assyria. And Assyria was the empire that rose to power around the mid-700s BCE. And as, as they rose up to power, they were able to conquer vast amounts of land very quickly. And so Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria and therefore the emblem of all that is wrong in the world because as assyria is dominating the world they also come for israel and israel's at a very weakened state at this point and so israel gets overthrown and cast into exile all of the people are left without a home except for those who are uh, who are taken into slavery and brought back to nineveh and so for any good israelite nineveh is a horrible place to be it's the worst And so, understanding a little bit about Nineveh, we start to see why Jonah ran. Because Jonah knew that going to Nineveh would be a really bad idea. But God calls him out of his comfort zone. God calls him for a brief moment out of his comfort zone, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah says... No, and leaves and he runs away as as far away as he can get to the city of Tarshish by the way if you didn't get that earlier and and the reason why isn't is isn't just because of how dangerous Nineveh would be for an Israelite at this time I mean how many people would want to go to this terrible threatening place but also Jonah believes Nineveh deserves punishment Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and tell, and tell them this message from God, because, as we will learn later, Jonah knows that if he takes this message to Nineveh and tells the people what God has said, then the people will, will repent, and they will turn from their ways and they will follow God, and God will forgive them. Jonah knows this is the the, the formula that God has set up for the world, and so he turns and runs away from that because he wants Nineveh to pay. He wants them to burn in a great fire. He doesn't like Nineveh. None of the Israelites like Nineveh. It's a horrible place for anybody who's not an Assyrian. And so, in addition to it being a, Threatening, dangerous place for any Israelite to go. And in addition to the fact that Jonah hates Nineveh and wants them to burn, Jonah also runs because he's just really dramatic. Like, really dramatic. And I promise that will come out more in his personality as we go along. But the point we need to focus on here is that Jonah is called. Jonah's considered one of the minor prophets of uh, of the Old Testament, and that's not because he wasn't really good at his job, so he didn't get like the major status, it's just because his book is smaller than other prophets. So he's a minor prophet, and like every prophet, they have a call story, a moment where God tells them to go and do something, go and tell the people a certain message, and most of the time prophets aren't happy with the assignment they've been given. That's actually a staple of a prophet. If you see somebody who claims that they're a prophet and they love their life, they're probably not a very good prophet. Because prophets have the worst job in the world. They have to go and bring truth to power. And that is a horribly scary thought. To bring truth to power. To be able to say to the ruling party of the day, you're all failing And God is coming for you. Nobody wants that job. And if you do want that job, you're not a very good prophet. But Jonah is called. Jonah is called into a a work that is just uncomfortable. And one thing we have to remember about call stories is that God's ways are not our ways. In other words, whenever the reason why God calls people is because God doesn't work the way we might want God to work. For instance, God doesn't work all the time through very obvious miracles. Maybe you've experienced very obvious miracles in your life, and that's wonderful, but they don't happen all of the time. It's not like every morning you wake up and you go and look out of the sky for today's latest God writing. Or that you, you know, you have these moments where God is speaking in this uh, deep booming or high-pitched squeaky voice. I don't know what God's voice sounds like. And, And is speaking very audibly to you and saying, this is what you're supposed to do today. God doesn't work through obvious miracles quite as much as we would like. Instead, God chooses to work through us. And calls us into a life meant for more than just ourselves. And so whenever we say that we are called... And that's what I want to tell you this morning is that each and every one of us here are called. Whenever we say we are called, what we need to understand is that God is choosing us to guide the world towards God's kingdom come. God calls us, in that case, to an uncomfortable life. God calls us to step outside of our comfort zone. And that's not just for the prophets, minor or major. It's for each and every one of us. God calls us out of our comfort zones. And in fact, in, in John 16, 33, Jesus tells his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. There's no avoiding it. That word will is a very important word. It's not in this world you might have trouble, or this world can be hard. It's in this in, in this world you will have trouble. it's it's just a given. We're being called to a life that is challenging. He even goes so far to say that just because you follow me, people will hate you. And that's just, you know, something that develops out of following Christ, because Christ is often contrary to what the world wants. So, whenever God calls us, it's easily going to be out of our comfort zone. And so, my question has long since been, why? Would God call us out of our comfort zone into this really stressful place? Because if you ask me, I think it would be a lot easier if, whenever God called on us, God would would audibly speak or do something very evident to say, This is what you're supposed to do, and I want you to do it within your comfort zone, within whatever makes you happy. But I have found that doesn't always happen, and so I wonder why. And in my thought process, I've only come up with three reasons so far. I'll have the other 572 for you later. But three reasons so far. The first is God calls us out of our comfort zone because it might not be the worst thing for us. In fact, it could always be worse. God could really call you out of your comfort zone. But if God just calls you out of your comfort zone, that's not as bad as it could be. Second... It might be the best thing for us. Who knows what adventure might wait whenever God calls on us. And the third reason, which I really identify with, is that whenever God calls me out of my comfort zone, it might be because a little discomfort for me is worth it to God if it means hope and restoration for someone else. And so I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be really vulnerable right here for a second. Uh, this is gonna be kind of awkward, but here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really open myself up to you and, uh, and tell you something that, that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something I hide, but it's something I don't talk about very often. Ministry, being a pastor, being commissioned as a provisional elder, working in the life of the church, all of these things are very far outside of my comfort zone like very extremely far outside of my comfort zone and I mean this I'm not just I'm not just kidding around ministry it, it it makes me anxious I was telling somebody after the first service this morning that on Sunday afternoons after after church all morning I go home and I sit on the couch and I just have to breathe for a few minutes because it, it's very far outside of my comfort zone it's not something that that I'm, I'm particularly I don't, I don't wanna use the word good at because good is a relative term, but it's not something I feel comfortable with. It's not something that comes naturally to me. And, the, and I can do like the whole, the whole public speaking thing, that's not the problem. I, I, I can do that and it's because I'm an extrovert. Believe it or not, I, I am an extrovert. Um, not horribly far on the extrovert scale, but I am an extrovert. But if you if you just encounter me in daily life, you might think that I'm an introvert. And the reason why is because I have a social anxiety, okay? And I know people start getting uncomfortable when you start talking about psychological uh, concerns or mental, mental health concerns or whatnot. I, I have a social anxiety to the point that whenever I have to interact with another person or whenever I have to ask a person to volunteer or to help out or whenever I just have to be in the same room as another person, I, I become overwhelmed To the point of almost being paralyzed with thoughts that keep telling me you're just being a burden right now you're not wanted in this space you're just a burden you're a hindrance in this moment and these thoughts are flooding in uh, over me constantly if i'm just around another person it's immediately you're not wanted here and it's a real social anxiety that i've been wrestling with for many years i mean i I can't imagine i can't remember a time whenever this hasn't been a reality for me and so ministry a very relational profession it gives me a lot of anxiety <laughs> um, and and but the, the contrary nature of it is I don't want to be alone I don't like being by myself I like being around other people but being around other people gives me awful anxiety so <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a real predicament here in ministry but I'm saying this ministry is far outside of my comfort zone and so whenever God started drawing me toward ministry I had a lot of questions and concerns, because I knew what ministry looked like. I've grown up my whole life in the church. My grandfather was a, a, was a pastor in the Baptist church. We don't talk about that very often. <laughs> I, I grew up in the life of in the church. I was participating in various areas of the life of the church. So I knew that going into ministry was going to be horribly outside my comfort zone, not something that I could easily do. And so, so as I was figuring out what my life was going to look like, senior year of high school, I mean, I'm almost ready to graduate, honestly. And, and I, during this time, I had full scholarship to go to Mississippi State to study aerospace and mechanical engineering. I know some. I heard, I said Mississippi State and some people started looking at you other like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I saw one hand back there. Um, but uh, was going to Mississippi State for aerospace and mechanical engineering, because I knew that was something I felt comfortable with. I told you all a couple weeks ago, I'm really comfortable with math and science. That's area I like to, I like to stay in. Um, and I knew that I could get along really well if I just had a cubicle off in the corner and could be working on projects and stuff, and, and people wouldn't really, I wouldn't have to really bother people. Would have been, you know, my extroverted self might not have liked it so much, but I wouldn't have felt like a burden so much. And so that's what I really tried. I tried really hard to go into engineering. And it was like God just kept opening up these other doors and just giving me the boot right, right through it. It's like, nope, come on, you're going this way. You're going this way into ministry. And door after door, I mean, in, in youth group, people started saying, have you thought about seminary? And I say, no, that's a made-up word, so I haven't thought about it at all. Um, it's not. It's a real thing. I, w- I did that. Um, it wasn't what I wanted. Even in college, after I decided to major in religion and psychology at Huntington College, which, by the way, is a liberal arts school on the complete opposite end of the spectrum as Mississippi State, and I, I majored in, in religion and psychology. Even after that, come my senior year, the only plan that I had in senior year was that after graduation I would put on a backpack and I would just start walking, walking the face of the earth. That was, and That's not an exaggeration. That was my plan because I knew that the degree I had just gotten was going to lead me into ministry, and I didn't want that uncomfortable nature to be around me all of the time. But lo and behold, uh, we had just got a new chaplain that year. His name is uh, Woods Lizenby. He's the associate pastor over at Dothan Way. And he looked at me and said, don't be dumb, and said, go to seminary. I said, there's that made-up word again, but all right, we'll see what, that's all, what all that's about. And so I went on to seminary, and even at seminary, I found myself resisting this call to ministry, even though I was working in churches the entire time. But I, I, I have this social anxiety that keeps me thinking that at all times I'm going to be a burden. And I even was very hesitant to talk about this this morning, because I, I feel that even by telling you, I become a burden to you that even by telling you that I feel like a burden to you, I've become more of a burden to you because now you're, going to, now you're going to think about it every time you talk to me or every time I'm in your presence, right? But God moved me into ministry. And I'll tell you what, I love it. I love every part of it. As uncomfortable as I am every time I have to engage with another human being, I love every part of it. And if it wasn't for ministry, I wouldn't be here with you all now. I mean, there'd be zero chance that I would be at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church right now. I wouldn't wouldn't have even considered Mobile as an option to move to. All the the engineering jobs are in Huntsville, right? So (laughs) it it wouldn't have even been on my radar. I wouldn't have met my best friends in the whole world if I wouldn't have kept stepping or being kicked through those doors into ministry. I wouldn't have met my wife if if I wouldn't have been following this call into ministry as reluctantly as I might have been following it, there's so many aspects. Actually, every aspect of my life that I love so much would not have been possible were it not for a call outside of my comfort zone. And so I kept following this call simply for one reason. Because God wasn't giving up on me. God wasn't letting me have my way. God wasn't letting me stay in my comfort zone. What I realized during the midst of all of this wrestling and figuring out what a call actually means, I realized that God wants us to be a part of the story. I realized that God wants us to be a part of the story of grace and of salvation. I I realized God wants us to be a part of the story of the gospel. That God doesn't want us just sitting on the sidelines. That God wants us on the field. That God doesn't want us to just be relaxed and comfortable all the time. But that God wants us to be just a a little bit, maybe a little bit more uncomfortable than we're okay with for the sake of somebody else. God could do it alone. Maybe. I haven't asked. I, I assume God could do it alone. But that's not God's personality. Instead, God wants to include us. And what kind of love is that? Can you imagine being the most competent person in the universe and still asking all of these other people who are just horrible at it to come along with you? Like that takes, that takes a, a lot of grace. God wants to include us to give us a chance to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And God's been doing it since the beginning of time. I mean, every single story you come across in scripture and practically every story you come across in modern day of somebody following Christ it's the same thing over and over again that God wants us to be a part of it even if at the expense of getting out of our comfort zone and so i realized thinking about all of all of this that whenever god calls it's going to be uncomfortable in fact it can be a little stressful and maybe even a little traumatic whenever God starts calling. And so I started started realizing patterns in people's call stories. And it's a pattern that actually comes out of of modern-day psychology, a psychological phenomenon known as the fight, flight, or freeze response. And so I don't turn that into a tongue twister. I'll just call it the 3F response. And in this response, the psychological understanding is that whenever any creature, human or otherwise, encounters stress or trauma, they respond in one of those three ways. They either go and fight at it, they flight or flee from it, or they freeze up and don't do anything at all. And so whenever it comes to a lesson from Jonah on running away, I began to identify these this pattern, this 3F pattern within call stories. And the first response to God calling, I think it's actually the most common, and it's not Jonah's response. It's the freeze response. That whenever God comes calling, most people end up freezing up because either one, they, they're not sure if it's actually God calling or if it's just their own crazy subconscious. And two, if it is actually God calling, and it is you know, specific enough, they're not sure how to do it. If God is calling us to, to be a part of this ministry and this community, we're not really sure how to get there. And so we freeze up and we just don't do anything. We just kind of sit there like, uh, okay, what does that mean? The second response is the one that Jonah demonstrates for us. Whenever God clearly calls, think it's very evident that God calls, and then God shows you exactly how to do it and what you're doing. Then the next easiest response is the flight response. Jonah runs away to Tarshish, by the way. Jonah runs away trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible because God's call is uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's not something easy. It's not something that I'm okay with. And so Jonah runs. But the biggest flaw in running away The biggest flaw that I think Jonah might have overlooked is is in forgetting that one cannot simply run away from God. We have this characteristic for God called omnipresence, which means God is always present, ever present. You can't actually run away from God. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go to flee from you, Lord? If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I make my rest in the highest heavens, you are there. There is nowhere that we can go to escape from God. God is always present. And so the flight response just, just doesn't kind of work. It's kind of a waste of your time and a waste of other people's time. Like, imagine those people on the boat that Jonah joined. Like, how easy would their trip have been if this dude hadn't jumped on board? The third response, the fight response is the one I think God calls us to most often. And this doesn't mean that we're fighting God about it or that God is calling us to get in a fight. The fight response is simply to take action, to do something about the call. And this is something that you've heard me talk about way too many times now, but I'm going to keep emphasizing it because I want it to sink in for all of us, myself included. And that's that God calls us to action. God calls us to be a part of the game, to get off the sidelines and onto the field. That God calls us To do something, to get on our feet, to not just sit around, but to actually respond. And so, I want you to take this lesson from Jonah. When God calls you to something uncomfortable, remember that it might be in your best interest to run towards it rather than away. There's a song that came out a few years ago by the band All Sons and Daughters, And the song is uh, titled, Called Me Higher. And the lyrics go like this. It's uh, It's a beautiful poem. But hear these words. I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. And I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. And I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. And I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down. But you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I will go where you will lead me, Lord. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I will go where you will lead me, Lord. What what the lyrics of this song are telling us is, God does give us a choice, and we could, beyond either end of that choice but there's something greater waiting for us we could just sit and wait for God's goodness wait and hope to feel God's presence but God has called us higher we could just stay right where we are and hope to feel God hope to feel anything but God has called us deeper We could hold on to who we are and never let God change us from the inside. But God has called us higher. We could be safe here in this space and never leave home and never let these walls down. But God has called us deeper. And the question is will we go where God will lead? God calls each and every one of us. Each and every person in this room, each and every person on the face of the planet, God is calling out day and night, every single moment. Come and be a part of what I'm doing in the world. Come and see where the action's at. Come and see what your future could hold. Come and see. God is calling each and every one of us. And it may be uncomfortable, it may not be easy, and we may want to resist Because resisting is a lot easier than following through. But God is still calling us higher. God is still calling us deeper. And the question that I want to leave you all with today is simply this. How might God be calling you out of your comfort zone even now? As we go deeper into Jonah's story, we're going to see what being called out of our comfort zone might look like. But for now, just for today, I want you to think I want you to really meditate on this. Go home and talk about it over lunch or whatever. Where might God be calling you out of your comfort zone even now? And here's that moment where my social anxiety is going to kick up because I'm going to mention our One Matters campaign. And this is where we have that volunteer assessment form. And I I feel like a burden asking, but I want everybody to be a part of the life of this church. And so maybe God is calling you to to, to fill a place here to find a place to to plug in here. And maybe it's out of your comfort zone, but maybe that's where you need to be. Maybe God's calling you somewhere else and that's just as great. And maybe it's out of our comfort zone. Maybe God is calling us as a church to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and maybe that's gonna be out of our comfort zone. So for right now, I just want us to identify, to listen, Where or how might be God calling you out of your comfort zone even now? And I ask this because I I like to be interactive, and I want to hear back from you. Believe it or not, I do. We can talk about social anxiety some other time. I want to hear back from you. As you feel God pulling you in some direction, come to me and say, Micah, I feel like God's leading me to, to plug in right here and to help out with this or to volunteer here or to start up this ministry. Oh, that's so good. Let's talk about it. Because God is calling each and every person here. Each and every one of us. And the best thing that we can do, for now, we'll go deeper next week and the weeks after, but right now, the best thing we can do is simply listen and say, okay, let's see what that looks like. Let's see how God wants us to be a part of the story. And Let us pray this morning. Holy God, you call us out of our comfort zone for good reason, because you know better than us, because you are present where we cannot be. Because your power knows no ends. Because your goodness is for all of humanity. We know that you have called us higher. You have called us deeper. Now we respond by saying we will go where you will lead us, Lord. So lead us into the world that you have. Onto the path which you have set before us. That we might be a people who are part of your story. And as we consider the world around us that is in need of your great love and hope, we lift up to you this morning, our brothers and sisters in Kabul, Afghanistan, those who are wedding guests, fallen victim to a bombing attack. And we pray for the dozens who lost their lives and the many more who were injured. And we pray for peace in that community, an end to senseless violence. We pray for compassion to be the new narrative. And in the realm of compassion, we pray continuously for our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong as they continue with their peaceful protests. We pray that those protests do remain peaceful and that leaders in power might see the path to be best for all people. We pray also for the far left and far right groups that are clashing in Portland. And We pray for peace to reign over, that though we might be a people of different ideologies, that we might be a people who look at the world differently. The one thing we cannot disagree on is that each and every one of us are just as human as the next. And each and every one of us are in desperate need of grace and compassion. And so we lift up to you also our brothers and sisters who might be right next door to us or sitting right next to us. Those who may be going through things we could scarcely imagine or those who are going through things which we hear and are present for. And we pray too for ourselves for we are also a people in need of your grace. And we ask that you would attend to us and each of your children according to your good and perfect will. And we lift up these prayers to you in your perfect and holy name, as we pray together also that prayer which you taught your disciples and us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us.